Welcome to Compared to Who, the podcast to help you stop comparing and start living. I'm your host, Heather Creekmore. I hate to admit this, but I used to secretly obsess over my appearance. I thought it was part of my job as a woman to always look better, but never felt like I could be good enough. Maybe you can relate. But God, in His grace, He showed me a way out, and I want to give you all the tools you need to break free, too. If you've ever spent too much time stressing over your looks, I get it. I hope you'll keep listening and find the same freedom I have. Here are three other things you need to know about me. I'm a minivan driving mom of four elementary age kids. I'm author of the book Compared to Who and a blogger at comparedtowho.me. And you just may have seen my epic bake fail on Netflix. If you've ever struggled with comparison or body image issues, Compared to Who is the show for you. I hope you enjoy today's episode and tell a friend about it. Welcome to the Compared to Who podcast. I'm Heather Creekmore, your host, and today we're going to talk about discovering your purpose. Now, if you're wondering how discovering your purpose really relates to comparison and body image issues, I want you to go back and listen to the episode right before this one. That episode is about comparison, and in it, I end with an analogy of sitting in an airport and recognizing that purpose is the cure for comparison. So go back, listen to that episode, you'll understand the story a little bit more. And then listen to this one, because today what we're going to talk about is how we discover our purpose. Now, let me start off by talking about American Idol. Okay, that doesn't really have anything to do with purpose, or my purpose at least, because I don't sing at all. But I used to be a huge American Idol fan. I loved the show more than a decade ago when Simon Cowell was on, and people would audition and they would forget the lyrics like all the time, right? I don't know if that even happens anymore, but Simon would always say, you have to know the words. You can't forget the words, right? Well, today we're going to talk about purpose. And I believe that finding our purpose is a lot like knowing the lyrics in the song of our lives. So I work with women all the time. And a lot of these women confess to me that this is a real struggle for them, that they lived most of their life not knowing what their purpose is. Perhaps they had an eating disorder and felt like a lot of their lives were just spent trying to figure out food, maybe how not to eat as much food or how not to overeat or how to look better. I mean, for me, honestly, you guys, I did a lot of things. I went to graduate school. I worked on Capitol Hill. I had a lot of things going. And so on the outside, it would have seemed like I was radically chasing my purpose. But on the inside, I was chasing one purpose and one purpose alone. And that was how can I look better? So I don't know what your story is personally, but I do know that if you can get on fire with knowing what your purpose is on this life, friends, it will radically change the way you see yourself, the way you compare yourself to others. I think you'll stop comparing yourself to others. That's how it'll change that. And Friends, it just makes you feel great when you know that you are operating in your purpose or what someone called God's will for your life. Now, I get how daunting that sounds. Okay, I have four kids. I have a husband. I have three side jobs at any given time, always. I homeschool. Like, I've got a lot of stuff going on, and I'm sure you do too. And sometimes, 
just adding one more thing is the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's like, okay, sorry, I'm tuning out right now because this chick wants me to find my purpose and that sounds hard and big and I'm just not sure if I can even make it till nap time, okay? So if that's you, like, I get it. I understand your struggle. But today my goal is not to give you some, like, huge burden that you've got to carry around, not to make purpose hard, overwhelming, and not to make it so theoretical. Today I want to make purpose tangible, tangible for where you are right now. Okay, so that's our goal for today. Let's get started. We're going to do three things. First, we're going to talk about some ways you can start to discover your purpose now, even if you're in the thick of other things in your life. Even if you don't have time to go to the bathroom in peace, we're going to talk about how you can start to discover your purpose. Second, we're going to talk about the whole concept of purpose, what purpose is and what purpose isn't. I think that's why a lot of us get a little afraid when we hear, I have to find my purpose, because we don't really define it correctly. And finally, I'm going to show you some easy ways that you can start to point your life in a direction towards accomplishing your purpose. These won't be huge things that require a ton of time and energy that you don't have. They'll be simple, subtle, and helpful. Are you ready to get started? I'm going to start our talk today by sharing with you a little bit more of my story. So I shared part of my story in episode one where I talk about my struggle with body image issues, but today I'm going to kind of share with you how I struggled with purpose. You see, the truth is I always just wanted to be a mom. Okay, sure, there were things I enjoyed doing in high school. I wanted to pursue a career in broadcast journalism. Like, I was going to be the next female Tom Brokaw. Of all the anchors on the networks at the time, he was the one I wanted to most be like. And so I had those kind of aspirations. But deep down, I kind of hoped I'd never have to work. I prayed that I'd go to college, I'd get married, and then just be able to be a mom. But God had other plans. Then something else happened during my high school years that seemed to solidify my future as just a mom. When I was 16 years old, I was at a huge youth conference, and the speaker said that there were people in the audience whom he believed were called to be pastors and pastors' wives. At that moment, I felt God whisper to my heart that I was one of them, that he was calling me to be a pastor's wife. I told my parents, but I didn't really talk about it much. I mean, it's not the kind of thing you spread around school when you're 16, or 18, or 20 for that matter. I made it through college without an MRS degree. And as my senior year approached, I felt my anxiety rising. I didn't even have a boyfriend. In fact, I hadn't had one during any of my four years of college. I knew I'd either have to keep going to school or I'd have to get a job. Well, I applied to law school. Uh, remember, working did not sound fun to me. But by the end of my senior year, I decided that law school didn't sound that fun either. And through this time, I knew that there were things that God had gifted me to do, talents he had given me, but I didn't really care about them. You see, I thought my purpose in life was to get married. And what I needed to achieve that purpose, I falsely believed, was to look a certain way. I couldn't trust God to find me a man. That was way too much to ask from the one who created the universe, right? I needed to look as close to perfect as I could so that I could attract a man on my own. My purpose was obviously to be pretty. This would help me accomplish my bigger purpose, which was, obviously, to be married. Well, friends, my strategies failed miserably. I didn't get married that year after college graduation or the next or the next. In fact, I spent the entire decade of my 20s single and working and very confused about my purpose. You see, I thought God wanted me to be a pastor's wife, and yet I had no boyfriend, and the few guys I dated were certainly not going into the ministry anytime soon. Although I never wanted to work, the truth is I actually ended up loving working. I didn't love all my jobs, but I loved working. 
I thought it fulfilled me. In my mid-20s, I worked in politics, and I had a lot of fun hobnobbing with wealthy donors, riding in their private jets, eating at fancy dinner parties, and talking on the phone with politicians whom I'd seen on the news. Later in my 20s, I stepped into the nonprofit world, and I had the chance to host events with big-name celebrities, as well as the opportunity to do meaningful work to help causes I believed in. But for some reason, all this work, as fun as it was most of the time, left me feeling empty. I was missing something. It didn't fulfill me like I thought it would, or like I thought it should. The problem was, I didn't understand what purpose was and what purpose was not. You see, here are four things that purpose is not. Like you heard in my story, I confused goals and dreams with my purpose. Maybe you've done the same. You see, purpose is not a man or marriage. God can intend for you to be married. Your marriage can be part of God's purpose for your life or a way that your purpose is lived out. But God's bigger purpose for your life can never depend on someone else's actions. I got married at 31 years old and had a huge crisis on my hands because being married didn't fulfill me like I thought it should have. I was finally married, but checking that off my to-do list was anticlimactic. I had a linear view of life, and foolishly, I think I thought I would have arrived somewhere when I finally got married. But the truth is that marriage was just as milestone. Life had to keep going. Sure, it changed once I was a missus, but I hadn't arrived anywhere. And should my marital status ever change, I pray that it doesn't, but I have to see my life as more than just one defined by an earthly relationship. You know, the other thing purpose isn't is purpose is not a role. Yes, I did end up marrying a pastor, and I am a pastor's wife now. God was right. Go figure. But this is a part of my purpose, but it's not my purpose in its entirety. Because again, this purpose is dependent on someone else. If my husband's job changes, I would lose my purpose. And I don't think that's possible. Your purpose isn't your role as a mom. Though you may be in the thick of that role right now, certainly part of God's purpose for your life. It's not the entirety of your purpose because someday if you have kids, they're going to grow up and they're not going to need you to meet their needs in the same way. The other thing purpose isn't is purpose isn't a job. After I stopped working and became a stay-at-home mom, I really struggled. I had always defined myself by my jobs because I didn't have a paid job anymore. I would tell people, well, I uh, used to work in politics or I used to work in marketing, but I stay home now. I felt that just saying I was a mom or a wife or a stay-at-home mom didn't sound like enough. And honestly, because I didn't have a paid job, I felt like I didn't have a purpose. I felt like a schlump. I wasn't motivated to get up. And of course, I was also exhausted because I had four babies. I was angry a lot. I was frustrated. I didn't know how to be content without a job. I didn't know my purpose, nor did I understand that my purpose was different than my employment status. Yes, you can find and fulfill your purpose through your work, but your purpose has to transcend any paid or volunteer position. Your purpose can't be confined to only what people have commissioned or are paying you to do. Your purpose is not your job. body image been bogging you down for too long, it's time to get free. My friend, go to comparetohu.me, take your free body image awareness quiz. You will learn amazing things. You'll get your results right away. And I think you'll have fun too, because I mean, who doesn't love to take quizzes? Go to comparetohu.me. There's lots of great resources on that site. 
articles about body image and comparison and how you can find freedom through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Check it out today, right after this episode, of course. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. We talked about what purpose isn't. Now let's talk a bit about what purpose is and how you can point your life in a direction to accomplish your unique purpose. I like words a lot, and I think definitions help us gain clarity when we're trying to figure things out. So here's a definition of purpose from the Westminster Catechism. It says, our chief purpose in life is to glorify and enjoy God forever. I'm going to read that one more time in case it's your first time hearing it. It's from the Westminster Catechism again, and it says, our chief purpose in life is to glorify and enjoy God forever. That's it, right? I can just stop here and thanks for listening because that's as clear as it gets, right? Or here's another direction we could go. I could just read you 1 Corinthians 10 31. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And then we're done, right? Obviously, from the catechism and from the Bible, our chief purpose in life is to glorify and enjoy God forever. Boom. All done. Glorify God when you eat and drink. Donuts, Dr. Pepper, carrots, whatever it is. Apparently, it should be that simple, but I don't think it is. I think most of us need a little more clarification. So how do we glorify God? Well, I think we do that through discovering who he made us to be and what he's uniquely gifted us to do. You see, we'll bring the most glory to God when we are thriving and flourishing in what he's called us to do and be. We will enjoy God the most when we are living how he's asked us to live and following him, right? How many of you enjoy God when you're doing something you know God's told you not to do? I mean, there have been so many times when God said no to me on something and I did it anyway. And the funny thing is, even though I was so sure it was what I wanted, that I was willing to even disobey God to do it or have it, it never felt as satisfying or enjoyable as I thought it would. So how do we thrive and flourish in what God has called us to do and be, even amidst huge piles of laundry, dishes, work on your desk, dirty diapers, no sleep, whatever your situation may be? I think the first one is we take small steps of obedience. So let me share with you a little bit more of my story. My husband and I got married and we had our first son 13 months later. At the time, I was working full-time from home with the title of vice president and a really nice salary. 
I knew once that came that I need to back off a little, but we had a plan. You see, my husband, he was a fighter pilot then, was going to become a pastor and he needed to move to Dallas to go to seminary. We were going to leave the military and I was going to have to work to put him through school for the next three years. That was the way we were going to be able to afford to live. Seminary, at least the master's in theology that he was getting, was a rigorous course and it made it pretty difficult for guys to have part-time jobs as it went through. So I had a rough transition into motherhood. My oldest had all kinds of digestive issues, and military doctors couldn't seem to figure out any way to help him. He spit up a lot, like all the time. Huge volumes of spit up. And he hated sleeping. Lying down seemed to be his least comfortable position. The doctor said as long as he didn't scream when he spit up, I just had a laundry problem, not a medical problem. But I had more than a laundry problem because I was a stress case. I couldn't get him to sleep. I couldn't get anything done for work. Conference calls with a screaming baby on my lap were not impressive to my boss. Then I found out six months after Zach was born that I was pregnant again, and I was tired. I couldn't figure out how I was going to have two babies under two and keep my job. And although we had this plan, I didn't really love it. Remember, all I wanted was to be a mom. This was my chance. But instead of being able to lean into motherhood, I felt like I was resenting my mother and responsibilities because my job demanded so much of me. So one day through tears, I told my husband I didn't think I could keep it all up. He'd come home from the base and he could tell that I was having a rough time. He asked if I wanted to keep working and I said an emphatic no. He said, okay, well quit. And I cried. I can't. We need my income to pay for school. We're moving in three months. I'll never find another job this good and this flexible. Uh, We need my job to live. And he replied that no, we needed to trust God. If I felt my work was making it too hard for me to be a mom, then we needed to realign our priorities. I needed to quit. Well, I spent some time praying about it, and I felt like God was telling me it was time to just be a mom. And I loved the sound of that, but yet at the same time, I was terrified. (laughs) I'd worked so hard to move up the ranks and get the job I had and the flexibility I had. The thought of giving that all up kind of made me sad. Long story short, I did quit. And within a couple weeks of me handing in my resignation, my husband stumbled upon some information on the internet about military medical retirement. You see, he was injured flying the airplane and was going to have to leave the Marine Corps because he could no longer fly. He happened to find out that guys who get injured doing their jobs are usually able to be medically retired. And instead of just leaving the military, they can leave the military with some pay and insurance. Within a month of my step of obedience, quitting my job, we found out that Eric could be medically retired, and we found out he was eligible for something called vocational rehab. So what this meant was the military would pay to retrain him to do another job because he got hurt in the one that they had trained him to do originally. Practically, for this, it meant we were going to receive a retirement check, we were going to have insurance benefits, we were going to receive a check from the Veterans Affairs <laughs> Department every month because he had been injured and was a disabled veteran, and get this, we were also going to get a check that would cover all of his seminary tuition and his books and a living stipend. Friends, God provided. In fact, he did more than provide. He took my small step of obedience and he honored it. Maybe there's something you know that God has been calling or maybe quietly asking you to do. God's a gentleman. He's not going to force it on you, but he will speak. 
Maybe you've heard it and ignored it. Can I encourage you today to take small steps in obedience towards him, even if they are totally scary? He will provide. I don't want to oversimplify how hard it is to take these small steps, okay? Friends, I had a hard time. My job was my identity. I loved my work. And without it, I didn't know what I was going to do. More so, I had hopes and dreams that I felt would never be fulfilled if I stopped working. Through my connections and relationships at work, I was doing tasks I had always dreamed of doing. I was creating ad campaigns, doing those big celebrity events I mentioned. I was doing lots of TV and media stuff, lots of creative writing. I managed a big team of people really believed that I had closed the door on all of these work-related things that I enjoyed so much because I was quitting my job. And I grieved the loss. Even though I knew I was being obedient to what God had asked me to do, it still felt hard. But God is good, friends. Fast forward a few years, and now I have four children. My husband's been a pastor for almost a decade. You know what God has brought back into my life? So many of those dreams that I thought had died. I believed that unless I kept working, I would never have an opportunity to do things on TV. And boy, God proved me wrong. In fact, a few years ago, I had my first opportunity to do a news interview. And since then, I've been interviewed on the news a bunch of times. I also had always dreamed of being on a baking show. And who could have ever guessed that Netflix would develop a baking show just for horrible bakers like me? And God again opened up those doors and allowed me to fulfill that dream that I I never could have figured out how to make it happen. I'd always loved creative writing and really enjoyed that part of my job. But friends, if I had never quit my job, there's no way I could have ever written a book. I needed that extra space, time, and capacity, Uh, even though I was busy with kids. Had I held a full-time job, I would have never been able to write a book, start a podcast, start a blog, or do any of the things that I really enjoy now. So my point is you never know where your small steps of obedience are going to lead you. And more so, when you give up the things that seem like they are critical to ever seeing your dream fulfilled, God's got it. God has a phenomenal way of blessing us for obedience, and he can restore what we thought could never be restored. My second point today is somewhat related to obedience, I guess. It's get your priorities straight, okay? So we're talking about finding purpose. Friends, you don't have to start by like starting a nonprofit organization. Start by just getting yourself in order. If I wake up, read my Bible, spend some time in prayer, take care of my kids and other responsibilities that God's given me before I do all the stuff that I want to do, boy, those days run a whole lot smoother. Okay, it never feels like we have enough time, but friends, it is crazy when I do things the way I'm supposed to do them in order according to God's priorities. Wow, does God bless the way my time goes. The third thing you can do as you work to discovering your purpose is to accept your gifts. And don't pine away for the gifts that God hasn't given you. So in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a story. It's a parable about what we should do with the gifts and talents he's given us. I'll start reading at verse 14. It's the parable of the talents. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. 
He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug into the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who had received one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here! You have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, in the parable, the talents refer to our money, but we can and should use this story as a reminder of what God expects us to do with our talents and how he can multiply them once we start using them. Have you ever noticed how once you start doing something you may be okay at, you often discover something else you're good at? I wanted to work political campaign jobs because I liked the strategy involved with figuring out how to win, devising a message, and all sorts of those things. But part of the job of the campaign manager is also to manage the staff. And on each campaign, I realized that, though at the time it wasn't my favorite part of the job, God was growing my abilities as a manager. Later, when I worked in nonprofits, it was the management talent that allowed me to receive promotions and raises. God used my one talent to cultivate another, and he'll do the same for you. So how do you find these giftings or talents? Well, ask yourself these questions. What do you love to do? This is usually a good clue. If you love to organize things, if you have the gift of administration, God can use that in powerful ways. Maybe you love singing. Music might be your area, and God can work that into a cool purpose for your life. Also ask yourself, what do you hate? What bothers you more than anything? What do you get most riled up about? Maybe it's abortion. Maybe God has put inside your heart a passion for protecting the unborn. Or maybe seeing orphaned children breaks your heart more than anything. Perhaps God's stirring within you a seed to advocate for adoption. Just like what you love can reveal a gifting or hidden talent, what you hate may also reveal a deeper passion, something about your purpose. Also ask yourself, what do others affirm in you? Do people say that you're a good leader? Do people tell you that you're a good writer or a good teacher? This may be another indication of what talents God has given you. Remember, not everyone is good at everything. I do not have the gift of mercy. I am not the right person to send to the hospital to minister to you there in person. Nor am I the person to come to you when you've slipped back for the 91st time. Okay, I'm getting much better after almost a decade as a pastor's wife. But, oh... God has not given me those kind of unique giftings, so it's better off for everyone if I just stay out of those scenarios. Do I sometimes wish that I had a better voice so I could sing on the worship team or that I had a sweeter disposition so I could teach the preschoolers without pulling out my hair? Yes. Yes, I do. But God hasn't equipped me in these ways. And just as silly as it would be for me to go to the airport with a destination on my ticket and try to get on a plane to go somewhere else, 
That's a reference to the last episode. If you haven't listened to it yet, go listen. But it's equally as silly to covet someone else's talents and wish God had made me more like them. He didn't. End of story. But that doesn't mean I'm talentless. Let me repeat that catechism one more time. The chief purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy him for eternity. If you want to glorify God, use what he's given you to use and obey his word. He will open the doors and lead you down the path where he'd have you to serve. We glorify him when we are faithful to flourish in our gifting. The fourth way that we can discover our purpose is to reject the idol of awesome. Okay, we have a problem in this country. Everyone wants to be Lucy. No one wants to be Ethel. Okay, if you aren't an I Love Lucy fan, let me put that in a different way. Everyone wants to be the lead actress. No one wants a supporting role. But friends, this isn't the way God designed his church to work. We need every part of the body to function well. And though some may have more upfront roles, those in behind the scene roles are just as important for the group to function. So I spoke to a mops group at a huge church in the Dallas Metroplex a few years ago, but they only had 25 women in their group. The reason was they couldn't find any childcare workers. Friends, this made me so sad. That facility could have easily housed a hundred or more moms and as many kids. They had dozens and dozens of classrooms, but they couldn't find childcare workers. It's not just the MOPS president, coordinators, and speakers that makes groups run. It's the childcare workers and the janitors and the person who vacuums up the floors after the meeting. It takes a team. So what do I mean by reject the idol of awesome? Well, it goes back to my earlier point. You take small steps of obedience. If God tells you to start a blog, you write your post. And if 10 people read it, great. You don't give up because it's not the most popular blog on the web. It's okay. You don't have to be a superstar to make a difference. Reject the notion that only the best are important. Friends, I'm preaching to myself here too, okay? But don't believe that unless you are the best, you don't matter. God used a lot of mediocre men and women through the Bible. Know that he can use you no matter what your skill level if you're simply obedient to him. And finally, we're going to end here today. But be patient. Trust God that he's going to lead you to a place where you feel like you're thriving in his purpose for your life, but in his timing. About three years ago, I felt God telling me to write the book. And at the time, I thought if I could just find any publisher at all, it would be absolutely amazing. I didn't know if I actually had the skill to write a book, and I had absolutely no knowledge of the publishing industry. But I sat down, and for months, I wrote during nap times and after the kids went to bed. Every free hour I had, I spent writing. I finished the book, and I sent it to a friend who had an agent. My friend sent it to his agent on a Saturday, and by Monday morning at 10 a.m., I had had a signed contract with an agent. I was ecstatic. Within the course of a few months, this agent had my book in front of every major Christian publisher. He was certain I was going to get a big book deal, even though my blog had about 80 regular readers and 20 of them had my last name. My Facebook page, I think at the time, had 45 followers. But there are a couple meetings you have to pass through when you're trying to get published, and I would make it through the first two. And then when my book got to the meeting where the advertising and marketing people were looking at how many people I knew, how big my so-called platform was, I'd get a big fat no every time. Uh, I actually had a few companies tell me that they were going to make an offer for my book only to back out a few months later. Okay, like literally, we went out to dinner three different times to celebrate book deals and each and every one fell through. Friends, I wanted to give up a dozen times. In fact, at one point I called my agent and I was like, I'm done. I'm done with this roller coaster. I can't do this anymore. My encouragement for you today, friends, is to just be patient. Eventually, I did get that book deal, and my book came out in 2017. It's called Compared to Who. I hope you read it. 
but one step at a time. Now, as I look back on it, I'm glad that my book wasn't published when I first hoped it would be. It would not have been the right timing. We won't always see how God's timing works, but we can trust that God's timing is always perfect. If he started you on a path towards using your talents to glorify him, then just give it time. You may not see the whole picture clearly now, but keep your priorities straight. Stay obedient. Reject those idols, that idol of awesome, and continue to discover the unique ways he's gifted you, and he will be faithful to complete his work in you. You will discover your purpose and thrive in ways you never imagined you could. I hope this discussion on finding your purpose has been encouraging and helpful to you. If it has, would you drop me a note on Instagram or Facebook or through my blog, compared to who.me? I'd love to hear from you. I'd also love to entertain any questions you have about the topic of comparison, finding your purpose, or body image. I love connecting with my readers and listeners. So drop me a message sometime. Thanks for listening. That's all for today. I hope to catch it in the next episode. Hey, friend, would you check out the date on that episode you just listened to? Yeah, it's been a minute. Listening to old podcasts is almost like reading my diary from several years ago. In some cases, it's even a little embarrassing. So instead of listening straight through season by season, can I encourage you to skip ahead? I release brand new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. And if you're not sure where to start, you can go to improvebodyimage.com, find the Start Here button, and I've got several episodes listed and categorized so you can find the topics that are of most interest to you. Your time is valuable, so skip straight to the good stuff. I'm glad you're here. Thanks for letting me be a part of your body image and food freedom journey. If you're hearing this right now, you're probably like, who the heck is this and why are they playing during my favorite podcast? And I get it. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I do want to introduce myself. My name is Trevor Tyson, and I'm the host of Trevor Talks, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. I just want to invite you, if you love podcasts, if you love music, if you love books and love hearing from the people who create it, come check us out at Trevor Talks. Simply go to Google or Life Audio, type in Trevor Talks, and it'll pop on up. Hope you have a great day.